0: Is Donald Trump the poster child for adult ADHD? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. (laughs) And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napa. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. This is our last daytime edition of 2020. It's been uh, a strange year, to say the least. Kind of happy to see it go, but um, I'm not expecting things to change automatically when when the calendar changes. I know a lot of people, I don't know if it's superstition or what, but think somehow uh, when we start calling it 19 oh, 19 2021 20, uh all of a sudden things will be miraculously different um i think we'll have some carryover unfortunately but uh it's been a strange year but as i mentioned happy to see it go we're gonna learn a lot today about my two least favorite subject but um uh, america's uh probably most favorite subjects according to how much airtime they get uh how much talk we We do about both these things. I'm talking about uh, the current outgoing president of the United States of America, Donald Trump, and a condition known as ADHD. Uh, Specifically, we're going to be talking about adult ADHD, which I don't think it's talked about enough uh, at all. Uh, you know, we generally think of that condition as associated with children. So we're going to learn a lot uh, about those subjects today. And uh, my guest is actually a, a psychiatrist, MD, and a PhD. So uh, Republicans uh, probably want to say he's not a doctor on one hand, but then he is a doctor on the other hand, <laughs> probably very confused about, about this situation. The guy who has both MD and PhD associated with his name, anyway. Before I bring him in, I need to talk quickly about my uh, sponsors audiobooksnow.com is today's one of today's sponsors. Uh, audiobooks now is an audiobook supplier. What else would they be? And you know about the convenience of audiobooks, I don't have to remind you about them. But what makes audiobooks now? Uh, com the place to go for audiobooks well simply it's uh, pricing 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 uh, audiobooks now club pricing plan is simply the best deal on audiobooks you'll find it offers the savings and flexibility not found anywhere else with their save on everything discounts rollovers exclusive offers loyalty program incredible selection and cancel anytime b- policy simply cannot be beat plus get a free premium audiobook on select titles when you click the link in the description Also, we're going to up the offer just a little more. You can get a free 30 day trial of the club pricing plan, uh, when you click the link in the description, audiobooksnow.com. It's easy enough to find. And, uh, generally the price of the club pricing plan, uh, club pricing plan is $4.99 a month, but it will be absolutely free for your first 30 days. If you're not happy with it, just, uh, cancel anytime before the 30 days is up and you won't be charged a penny for it. I do appreciate you, uh, patronizing audiobooks now. Dot com uh today's program is also brought to you by funwise capital you know about funwise capital folks funwise capital is a business lender matching platform that gets you the best credit lines guaranteed you can apply online in 60 seconds or less and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business that's right i did say start or grow your business if you don't have a business but you got a solid business plan that can help you get funding get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months, unsecured term loans, loans based on your income, short-term gap funding, bridge loans, all that kind of stuff. They work with real estate, startups, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, you just go to apply.funwise.com slash mind dog apply.funwise.com slash mind dog and again I do appreciate you patronizing funwise.com now on today to today's uh big program John Cruz is a neuroscientist by training and a psychiatrist specializing in adult ADHD for the last 25 years he wrote uh recognizing Adult ADHD, what Donald Trump can teach us about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder to capitalize on this teachable moment. Uh, Trump serves as the poster boy for severe ADHD, and his behavior is incomprehensible without appreciating his condition. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Dr. John Cruz to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Dr. Cruz, welcome.
1: I'm delighted to be here today.
0: Uh, so, you know, the, uh, obvious, um, assumption people are going to make is, uh, putting Donald Trump in the title is going to be controversial enough to get a lot of attention. and, And that would be the main impetus for, uh, for even, uh, considering him on this subject, your answer to that.
1: Um, Certainly he draws a lot of attention, and I think this is a topic that needs attention drawn to it. But a little bit more, 20 years ago, you could pick a pop star, a music star, a sports figure, and everyone would hear about them, everyone would know about them. In our fractured media world, there's very few public citizens that you could describe their behavior, and everyone knows what you're talking about. Donald Trump is one of those, and he is as I say, the poster boy for adult severe ADHD, so we should be taking advantage of this learning opportunity and using that to educate ourselves, both for understanding him, but also for understanding how serious and prevalent ADHD is, because in adults particularly, it's both ignored and misunderstood.
0: Well, and thank you for, for that explanation. And I, I have not read the book. I have only read the preview on Amazon. So, uh, my, uh, understanding of the content of the book is somewhat limited, but I do know that you kind of addressed, uh, your reasons for writing the book. Now, I have to tell you my ambivalence about about the title and the and using Trump is it it kind of makes him sympathetic and I <laughs> uh, I know I'm gonna and by the way all the hate mail for this can go to info at minddogtv.com I'll take all mm-hmm. the hate mail but I think of him as uh, the embodiment of pure evil and what I, I think what I've learned from him uh, is sympathy for the for the German people in the 1930s mm-hmm. for how they could be seduced by pure evil so I think uh, by by looking at him as having this disease if you want to call it that i don't know is it a disease but um if i look at him in that way it kind of makes him a sympathetic character i don't want him to be sympathetic can you respond to that
1: i would say that there's no doubt that he's a human being and <laughs> understanding motivation for his behavior or why he functions a certain way i would say is neutral it doesn't exonerate him of his horrible actions it doesn't say approval it just leads us understanding from where they're coming from and there's been so much focus on the narcissism on the sociopathy and the antisocial traits i think there's elements of that in there but if you don't understand the adhd you don't he doesn't make sense because a true narcissist you know has a plan has an action does things to make themselves look good look what happened just this week with the stimulus the bill to to rescue people financially from the COVID crisis. You know, for weeks, he didn't get involved in negotiations. Then after it gets passed, he announces big objections to it. He says for several days, I'm going to veto it. I'm not going to approve it. And then after uh, unemployment benefits expire, that day, he actually signs it. And then this is not a coherent strategic plan. And I would argue someone... If we're gonna use evil in any political sense, it may be more for figures like Mitch McConnell or Dick Cheney who clearly had a plan and acted in ways where they knew they were harming lots and lots of people. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, I, I think the evidence suggests he doesn't think about other people. It doesn't raise his consciousness. He's not planning. He's not strategizing. He's jumping from topic to topic. He's telling us what's ever at the top of his head. He's influenced by whoever spoke to him last. These are largely ADD traits, and again, that doesn't make the content of his actions good or helpful. I mean, I think, and I've written about this separate from the book, which came out a year and a half ago. You know, I have an article on Medium.com all about how his ADHD contributed to our COVID crisis because he's unable to plan ahead. He's unable to see future damage of not acting now. He's unable to organize a bureaucracy. He's unable to prioritize. He's unable to keep from blurting out comments in a public forum about whether you should be injecting bleach under your skin. All of those are ADD traits. And again, so yes, I've I've got the criticism that this lets him off the hook or exonerates him. Again, I think it helps explain, and I don't think you know if you still don't like him, then... I don't think it takes away from not liking him, but I think understanding why he's so sort of buffoonish in his actions. And I think insight into the ADHD gives a little insight as to why he's appealing. Part of why he's appealing is despite four years of president, he comes across as the anti-politician. And why does he come across that? Politicians tend to think before they speak. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, I think that's a desirable trait in a leader but I can also appreciate people think, oh my God, Hillary took two seconds to answer that question. Obama had pauses in his thinking. He must be hiding what he's truly thinking and giving us some bullshit. I I don't think that's the only reason for pausing when you're thinking, but I think that's a popular misconception. And Trump, as his family member said during the convention, he tells it like it is, which isn't like what reality is. It's what's, but he is giving us A picture of what's inside of his head at that very second.
0: Right. Uh, Just to be clear, um, my uh, criticism, if you want to call it that, was not of the content of the book, because I'm very weak on the content of the book. It's just uh, merely on the title of the book kind of suggests that, or, you know, and so that's an unfair criticism to begin with, uh, because you can't judge a book by its cover, even though we all do. (laughs) Um, but I agree with what you said that it, you know, he doesn't seem to care about people. He doesn't seem to, um, really have any empathy, but when I, when it comes to the, you know, the COVID crisis, there was clear evidence that he at least understood the dangers when he was talking to Bob Woodward and was recorded about it. Um, so the question I would have, it can, can these kind of lapses or, or, or of understanding uh, is that part of you know where where it changes from? He did clearly understood it in that moment, but maybe mm-hmm. not the next day or the ne- or even five minutes later. Is that associated with with ADHD?
1: Yeah, a, a prominent ask, so inattentiveness is one of the core symptoms, and it's sort of like out of sight, out of mind. You know, if if someone's showing the COVID chart or numbers right there, he's attentive and onto it. And two minutes later, if they're saying your favorite hamburger isn't here for lunch, he's focused right. on the hamburger or the two scoops of ice cream he gets with it. He's—it's really out of sight, out of mind.
0: What about the um, the statements that early on in his presidency from your colleagues, people in in your profession who oh, oh, really um, were objectionable to the idea of uh, diagnosing from a distance? And and well, I'm not even talking about ADHD Mm -hmm. particularly, but the narcissism, the sociopath, whatever you wanna call it.
1: Great question, and I have a whole chapter in the book devoted to that. So the American Psychiatric Association has a rule in their ethics law. So this is not a legal law, this is an ethical recommendation, strong one that psychiatrists not make public statements about public officials so in my private life i'm allowed to talk anything i want but publicly i shouldn't be offering statements about the person i haven't evaluated and whose consent i don't have on the other hand you look specifically at the adhd diagnosis and uniquely among our major psychiatric disorders they've written the diagnosis purely in terms of behavioral symptoms So we don't need to know, it's not like narcissism where we need to know he's feeling selfishly or not caring about those people. We just need to know he's inattentive, he's interrupting others, he's blurting things out, he can't sit still. All of those objective behavioral criteria, we have hundreds of thousands of hours of videotape demonstrating these traits. So we have more information in the public domain about the specific behaviors, about their trajectory over time, about their appearance in different situations. You have more information that's relevant to making a diagnosis of ADHD than you could possibly achieve in any one-on-one interview with someone. And with Donald Trump, we also have historical data going back to childhood. We have corroboration from both political allies and enemies that he behaves this way when he's not in your office. So I would argue that the claim that you need an in-person evaluation, that may be true for evaluating a condition where our definition is based on knowing the person's motives or based on knowing their inner thought processes or based on knowing if they're hallucinating. But for ADHD, I think there is a clear exception to this. And I, I think the rule is outdated in some other ways, but I would distinguish, I would say we know for a fact he meets full criteria for ADHD. That is not, you, you cannot possibly dispute it if you look at his behavior. What I'd say with narcissism is we have an extremely strong suspicion and he seems to fulfill all the criteria. But again, I don't know really when he does certain things, is it that he is not even, is it he's aware that he's doing something that's dismissive of others or that they're not really entering into his consciousness? Those Got are it. different factors
0: there you got you so yeah i i I, that definitely clarifies things for me as to uh what what it's all about so we won't talk about those other supposed disorders but one of the things that i know he's uh with good reason to be suspected of is drug use now can his drug use uh make it, can it manifest itself in symptoms that look like ADHD, but not be uh, ADHD? Or can those drugs actually cause ADHD? I guess that's two questions, but uh, can you try to answer well, so
1: them? So, so there's been a meme that's been going on since the 2016 election when Trump was sniffing a lot. And, and Howard Dean, a medical doctor, former governor of Vermont, um, former Democratic candidate for pre- president, was one who commented, you know, it looks like the guy's sniffing cocaine. And there have been reports from um, actors who are on this on, on the set on The Apprentice who claimed that Donald Trump was sniffing Adderall on the set. Two right. different reports. There have been investigative reporters both from Newsweek and from, I believe it's the Gawker, one of the online sorts, who found doctors who had prescribed Trump diet pills, which are often stimulant medications that are also used for ADD, Um, in the 60s and 70s, and that he was on um, large amounts for years. So there's been this sort of not hugely recognized in the media directly, but sort of hinted at or alluded to, could all this sort of weird twitchy behavior, he can't ever sit still, he's twisting his torso, he's blurting out and interrupting things. In people without ADHD, the stimulants do produce symptoms that look a lot like ADHD. They can produce hyperactivity. They can produce talking incessantly. They can produce disrupted attention and scattered jumping from place to place. So what's confusing is that in a person with ADHD, these same medications that can make a quote, normal person look ADD-ish can actually have reverse effects. So they can help someone be more focused, more coherent, it's sort of what's called the paradox of giving kids Ritalin. You're giving this hyperactive kid who can't sit still Ritalin? How does that work? It's not that their brains are wired differently. It's that a kid with Ritalin, if you give him the medication that allows his brain to focus, he can sit there and look at his phone and play a game on that rather than looking at the phone for two minutes and there's the dog barking there and there's mom calling over there and running around the room. It's not that it's directly cutting out the hyperactivity, it's that it allows him to focus get into the activity and behave more like a normal person. Mm. So I think the critics have it completely backwards. They attribute his weird behavior to being on stimulants like Adderall. And it's, it's not a naive, stupid mistake because I see pharmacists do it all the time. I see them treat my patients who have ADHD who are going in, talking a blue streak, jumping from topic to topic, blurting at things in line, and they're thinking, oh, my God, this guy looks like he's on speed. Why am I giving him prescription Ritalin or Adderall that's going to hype him up more when in fact it doesn't? It, it you know, helps him be calm and organized and focused. So, again, this is not this is a common mistake people make, but they have it completely backwards. So I say rather than riffing on Donald Trump sniffing, we should be supporting his snorting. I'm I'm being a little flippant there because snorting isn't the best way. So, so, but more to the point, and I have an article on this on Medium.com. We have compelling evidence that Donald Trump does use stimulants, but he should be using more of the time. So, what am I talking about? There are certain speeches that are, you know, designated as important, high-profile speeches. So, State of the Union speeches, his Fourth of July parade when he had, you know, a big parade's going on when he announced al-Baghdadi was, was killed, um, his second debate with Joe Biden after he blew up the first one with horrible ADD behavior. In these speeches that I'm talking about that are important ones, and I compared them to speeches he gave the exact same week. If you look at him, one, his, his physical gesturing is cut by a third. You know, there's not too many substances that would do that. Stimulants will do that in someone with ADHD two if you measure the coherence of a speech just by does this sentence logically follow the one, the previous one did he even finish the sentence and and coherence is a squishier rating thing than than just counting movements but as coherence in speech increases in these high pressure events and and again stimulants will do that for someone with adhd If someone HD is really trying to focus, maybe they could hold their their, um, physical manifestations or hyperactivity together, but if they're focusing on their hyperactivity, their speech is even more wild. On the other hand, if you're trying to focus and make your speech more logical, you may be able to improve that voluntarily, but you can't simultaneously control, so that the two are going better at the same time is circumstantial evidence that he's on something, but the kicker is if you look at those presentations, his pupils are giant. And they're not giant at the other speech that where he's non-medicated during the week. Um, the lighting, if you compare his eyes to other people, Pence in the background at the State of the Union, Joe Biden on the same stage, you know, lighting can affect pupil size. These are not lighting effects. Mm-hmm. These are short-term effects on the space of a few hours or maybe lasted the whole day, I don't know, because we don't have... This has to be a medication, and stimulants are the only class of medication that's going to dilate your pupils. If you have ADHD, reduce your hyperactivity and make you more focused. Right. And that pupillary piece of evidence is physiologic evidence. It's more compelling to me than even if you saw him take the Adderall and put it in his mouth. Right. People can choke, can tongue medication or hide medication, we know that there are times. So my question is, given that you'd want a president who's able to process information, able to respond in a non-impulsive way, this guy should be taking his medicine every single day, not just for special occasions when he thinks he wants to meet our criteria of being presidential.
0: Well, uh, you would know better, far better than anybody, me or anybody in my audience. I would, su- I would suggest on that. But I think the most the consensus is, is that he is on it almost every day but what happens is he you know he, they wear off you know he doesn't necessarily continue it all day i mean like that un speech that he gave where he, he's it was the same day he gave a speech before that someplace but then was in the un later that day and looked like a typical guy who was crashing on or from a cocaine high or or whatever so i think you know the question though that it begs is if i if i have adhd and I have, uh, I'm misusing drugs, abusing drugs, or even Mm -hmm. over the counter or cocaine or whatever it is, can that make my condition
1: worse? Yeah, so if you don't get the right dose of, I mean, as, as in any other branch of medicine, dosage is important. So people with ADHD, one, if they take too little, or some people are not sensitive to the medication, you know, it won't help. But two, even if it is a good medication for them if they take too much, they go from being under-focused to focused to scattered again. Right. So someone, even with ADHD, will look like your non-ADHD person on a stimulant. They'll look like someone too hyped up, too cracked out, too overstimulated. So right. I'm, 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 what then, I
0: mean by the question, though, is if I'm abusing drugs and then... It, let's just say I stop drugs. Will that necessarily make my ADHD click it into a higher gear? Like I've uh, I've caused uh, a ripple effect now that is going to make my condition worse, whether I continue to abuse drugs or not.
1: Yeah, you know, most of the evidence would suggest that that you're just left at your baseline. But again, if if the medication helped you look like a professional in the workplace, there's CAO of your company or something, and people were Accustomed to you performing in a normal way and suddenly you're there in a scattered distracted Impulsive way you're going to look so much worse that that's a big decrement That the the longer term or the potential damages because they do I mean that the way The stimulants can have long-term bad effects one is that there's some real but small potential for addiction with them And we know most people don't get into that, but some do and there's an even rarer condition, which is separate from addiction, which is called amphetamine-induced psychosis. So just like someone who has completely flipped out on street cocaine or street speed, there are some individuals, and it's probably less than one out of 500, which isn't horribly rare, who actually become clinically paranoid. They really think people are out to get them, mm-hmm. not just that their votes aren't being counted or something. I mean, really floridly delusional. And the really scary thing is that with amphetamine-induced psychosis, whether it's prescription cocaine—I mean, not the prescription whether it's prescription Adderall or Ritalin, or whether it's cocaine or meth, often this is a condition that persists after the drug is out of your system. So it's not just an intoxication syndrome, and it can persist in some people for weeks, months, or even years after it. So for some people, they are rendered chronically psychotic. Again, this is a very rare side effect, but it's it's so serious that I think we should be talking about it more. And most of the ADD experts I know sort of minimize it and say, this is rare. We don't have to worry about it. But mm. That I think is too dismissive. of this yeah
0: um you said earlier that it you know any the the signs the behavior signs are obvious i think they're obvious to you because it's your training and your profession but and i i think the dangers of making me aware of what what those obvious signs are is i think people self-diagnosing or diagnosing other family members or something like that can be a really dangerous thing but uh can Can you list, uh, give us an idea of what some of the obvious signs of adult ADHD are?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna backtrack half a step because it it highlights again one of the reasons for looping in Trump to begin with. There are lots of really good ADHD books on the market. There's lots of ADHD self-evaluation tests to get an idea. Um, Attitude Magazine, which is one of the, it's a ADD Etude Magazine has a wealth of self-test and useful information all of these things tend to be people who already know they have adhd seek out so the point of bringing trump into the title was for people who hadn't thought about adhd would start thinking about it and this is a condition that probably affects somewhere in the range of at least two to five percent of adult americans this is not rare this is and I would say that our whole society, and this is the third part of my book, is getting more ADD-like. So there is value to all of us to learning more about ADHD. So the other thing, when I get into diagnostic criteria, there's two very different concepts involved here that are important. One is we have the official criteria used to make the diagnosis and that there are nine inattentive symptoms and there are nine hyperactive impulsive symptoms and as an adult you only need five of those 18 symptoms to make it the symptoms have to be you know present over time they have to start before age 12. that's our official diagnosis criteria diagnostic criteria separately though is how we understand what adhd is and we understand adhd is a deficit of what are called executive functions in the brain and that's how your brain not just um controls attention so that you're distractible or you're focused or you can switch attention fluidly but how we manage time how we prioritize how we organize how we control impulses how we even regulate emotions so some of those important symptoms of adhd like emotional dysregulation don't even make it into the official diagnostic criteria so jumping back to to the first so the official criteria for some of the inattentive systems symptoms one you know making careless mistakes, because they're not paying attention. Um, Yikes. I'm blanking on some of the, some of the hyperactive symptoms It's just excessive um, fidgeting. Another one is not being able to sit still in a venue when other people are sitting still. So we've seen Trump get up in meetings, get up in photo shoots at the time. Um, I'm I'm curiously blanking on a whole host of inattentive
0: Well you said enough there to scare the crap out of me. I can tell you that because I recognize in, in just the th- first three that you said that I recognize myself in all of that. And again, I, I I don't want to encourage people to self-diagnose. I think that that's that's the worst thing. I mean, you should probably but if you suspect, you should probably get a professional diagnosis, correct?
1: Yeah. So, the, so, so again, there's wonderful books, there's wonderful online you know, self-test resources, but those are just to give you an idea that this may be something of concern. And then the appropriate step would be to see a professional who is familiar with ADHD because a clinical evaluation where someone goes through, do you interrupt people? Do you have trouble sitting still? Do you have trouble sustaining attention in an activity? Do you have trouble initiating an activity that you think is going to take a lot of work do you um all of those are criteria but they can help evaluate because things like depression or anxiety can affect some of those in an older cohort there's actually a fair amount of overlap between dementia and adhd so there mm. can be and the other things to point out is that adhd does clearly exist on a spectrum so there's people who have full-blown adhd It impairs their functioning. There are people who have milder sets of symptoms. There are people, I would argue, like Trump, who have severe ADHD but who had other resources or support. I mean, one, we talk about it it being an executive function deficit, but if you can pay for people to get you to lunch on time and to screen your calls and to make sure you show up here and there and who clean up your messes for you or who arrange your business contracts so everyone else gets screwed over when you get bankrupt and you don't or who take care of all your kids for you because you never want to change a diaper i mean having the money to have a staff to organize life for you mitigates a lot of the symptoms of adhd it's not a treatment most of us are going to have the luxury of having you don't have an executive secretary and a lawyer and (laughs) other things running for you but but that's part of how trump you know, people said if he has something so severe how could he be successful and part of it is he had his executive deficits contracted out to others and he, you could even argue if you think he's had any successes as president what do people pick on it's loading the federal courts and the supreme courts with conservative judges how much of that did he do he signed off on it he doesn't even know the names of these people he didn't vet them he doesn't even know that's what, you know, Mitch McConnell, the Federalist Society, came to him with a list of people. He signed off on it.
0: Yeah, he, he's such a complicated individual that I, I think, um, you know, try, trying to use him for a teaching moment is is a, a really challenging thing because he is so complicated. And so uh, being functional uh, m- has really little to do with the, uh, I, his all his psychological conditions as uh, much as it does with the people, uh, how people react to him and they fear him and are bullied by him and, and enable him in so many different ways and kind of the way you suggested. So it's, um, you know, that's why I think if I wanted to use him as kind of, um, Giving myself an idea of what adult ADHD might look like, I could be looking at the wrong things entirely. I could be looking at the paranoia. I could be looking at the um the bullying and all that stuff. and none of that is necessarily uh, indicative of or indicative of ADHD yeah. Yeah. I- yeah. Okay. Yeah. so
1: that's part of the book has gotten pushback, not just from people on the left who think, know, this humanizes Trump, but there's pushback from people with ADHD who feel that Trump is so toxic, they don't want this associated with him. And part of, you know, what I go through and explain is is, is delineating which are ADD symptoms and not, but that, you know, Trump's also an American. Do I renounce my citizenship because he's also an American or do I, he's a white male like I am. Do, you know, most of us are able to see I can have white maleness in common with Trump, but I don't have to exhibit it the way he does or have these other bad, you know, so ADHD, even if it's pervasive and, you know, a a very can change or affect personalities in a profound way, isn't ever everything about anyone. It's just one aspect of who they are.
0: Yeah, it's it's an irrational thought to think just because uh, I share a condition with somebody that makes me uh, like that person. Uh, You know, Hitler had hay fever and I have hay fever. That doesn't make me
1: Hitler. I'm a mustache. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah um so so the the drug abuse might uh make things worse it can the disease itself because we always think about it as as a childhood disease when we especially in in when we discuss it in uh social context we think of adhd as a childhood Mm -hmm. does first uh i guess it's a two-part question do do adults uh, necessarily? Uh, can you get it as an adult? Can can it be developed as an adult, or do you have to have a be from childhood to get it? And uh, does can it get worse over over uh, your lifespan?
1: So really good questions. I'll start backwards a little bit. So this is one of the disease entities in mental health that was identified clearly first in kids and for years or decades, you know, from the '50s '60s on. The dogma was kids have it, and all of them outgrow it by the time they become young adults. Right. And part of that was a simple, um, how we divide up medicine is you know pediatric centers, or pe- you treat kids till they're 18, and then they're gone. You're not seeing them. So some of it was just a stupid assumption. Because two was some of the symptoms, like a little kid, maybe literally running around the room. Now, Donald Trump isn't running circles around the room. I would argue his hyperactivity is not subtle. I mean, if you look at him during any of the debates, yeah. <laughs> group debates, he's twitching, he's moving. Actually, he sometimes holds on to the lectern. I think, whether it's conscious or not, it's so he doesn't behave hyperactively. But you know, you see the State of the Union or other when people are singing the Pledge of Allegiance. He's acting out in ways that no normal restrained human being does, but it's not to the extent of a three year old kid running around. So, some of the particularly physical symptoms of ADHD do get less severe or prominent as you go from childhood to adulthood. The other thing is so, among kids who have it, current research suggests a third do it by adulthood. Another third, their symptoms don't seem to get much better at all. The middle third gets somewhat better, but still have substantial ADD symptoms. As we go through life, so the the claim or the current conception is that by early young adulthood, if you have ADD, the extent or severity of your ADD is probably there for the rest of your life. Again, towards the end of life, there is a huge overlap between Dementia syndromes and ADHD, so that could certainly make you suddenly be much more forgetful, much more inattentive, much more. It can be confusing to diagnose it then. Um, To get to your other question, does it suddenly appear in middle age? I have patients who came to me, you know, the age of 50. A guy I saw a few years ago, started three different startups, very successful in the tech industry. His third company was failing, he came in because he was for explosive anger episodes. That's what he was focused on. That's all I saw. And the more he talked, this is clearly a bright guy. He had gotten, well, just a host of other inattentive, you know, blurting things out, not able to wait his time, you know, not, not inattentive, distracted. And, you know, towards the end, I, I said, this looks like ADHD. This is not just anger management. And he was sort of, you know, wow, this seems insightful. This does explain a whole range of things I didn't see before. But he was convinced that he wasn't having most of these symptoms before his third company was failing. So I said, well, go back to talk to your family. Go back to talk to your business partners. He went to his family. He was a child of, there were eight in his family. And they said, no, Bill, you were like this every day of your life. You were racing all around you. So part of ADHD, one, is that people with ADHD tend to be not very good at monitoring their own ADHD. I mean, one of the deficits is not paying attention to what you're doing and or not recollecting it. So some of the people who show up at later stages in life are showing up because either there is less structure around them that helped corral their ADHD or the demands put on them have increased. So although, again, lots of kids are identified with it, other critical points where we... See people coming into treatment one is going to college i had two kids who are failing out of stanford a few years ago both you know stanford's is the most exclusive you know college in our country you have to be really bright they were really bright they had what what happened is they went to the college environment mom and dad aren't around saying you have to study now oh, I can party, I can do this, I can take 17 classes that interest me and fail all of them. There was no structure. And when I went, you know, one of these kids, it wasn't that his parents cheated for him, it's that mom and aunt, came from a Middle East heritage, were sitting in the kitchen every day after school, not doing the homework, but making sure he got it done. And also making sure he wasn't driving fast cars. Or So, you know, this was an example, bigger load was expected of him and much less structure around him. So going into college is a big transition point like that. Second one is going into the work world. So even though college is less structure than high school, the work world's certainly not going to say you have a course that's 3 hours each week and you have final, you know, quarterlys this often. In the workload, there here's your work, you do it at your rate, but you have to be here by our deadline. So much less structure much less direction for many people with adhd and more demands put on them so that's a time and then weirdly and i so those time points lots of people write about it's in the literature the one i see a lot from working with adults with adhd is retirement and that might seem weird but again if you found a career that you worked at and and i'll get back to working at in a moment but you had structure, you had expectations of what's happening every day, and now you're thrown out what do I do 24-7, other than annoy the spouse? Or you know, the expectations may be lower, but there's I've seen people who are completely lost who were pretty functional individuals. So getting back to functioning, one of the really important things with ADHD, and it's important to all of us, but it is more important with ADHD is that they're doing something that's interesting to them. So wow. it's a, one of the buzzwords is that people with ADHD are interest-driven, other brains are importance-driven. So it's not, you know, the, the guy with ADHD who doesn't move his car and it gets six tickets, he knows it's important. He knows there's going to, you know, his car might get towed. But, yeah, yeah, I'll go do it in a minute. What's more interesting is this video game, or I'm going to check the some recent polling on the election in Georgia, or, you know. Seventy-two other things come up because they're more interesting to him and more compelling. So the people with ADHD who tend to succeed in life find things that are interesting to them. Mm. And uh, I mean, jumping back to Donald Trump, you know, self-promotion of himself, maybe real estate are interesting. Things like learning what's in the Constitution and what are the separation of powers. I mean, it's pretty clear he hasn't mastered what even the president's role is. Separate from his willingness to break it, it's a there's so often, you know, when he, he he just doesn't even get the basic mechanisms of what Congress does, what the president does, or getting back to important special interests, there are tons of reports of how they've dumbed down the daily security briefing, making it shorter and shorter, putting in pictures, putting in graphic, and the people say he still isn't paying attention. It's not that intellectually he doesn't get. Oh, I get. It's important to know that, It's He's not interested. Right. He's not going to stick with it. He's not going to pay attention.
0: Well, there's so much to unpack in that answer that you just gave. But what what it seems to me, and I hate to say, I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, and I hate to put out misleading information, but it sounds to me like structure is a very important thing in controlling uh, the behavior of somebody with the disease. That sounds like what you just said. So yeah. I'm, I'm thinking we have such a prevalence of prescription heavy or, uh, prescription inclination that, especially with children, you know, we, we diagnose them as this and then all of a sudden let's drug them up. Can, is, is prescription as always necessary and can, can it be controlled more through that structure and, and giving them, um, things to keep to hold their interest find out what what will hold their interest and then provide that structure as you mentioned especially in in terms of people who will retire but will manage to function well because they had that structured environment can you speak to that
1: i yeah there's so many good questions packed into that that if i get too far (laughs) off track pull me back in so i mean one issue that that some of this hinted at is that Different cultures clearly have different ideals and expectations of what's okay for a little boy to be doing or a little girl in the classroom, what's not okay. And you know, some of our framing of ADHD is embedded in a set of social expectations as to what kids or adults should be doing or not doing. Another piece of the question is, our current understanding, I mean, we can find Biochemical differences at a group level between kids with ADD and not. We can see genetic differences predisposing. So there are clearly brain and underlying differences. Um, the medications clearly can be measurably helpful. They never eradicate all of the ADD. They never make someone, and and in a good way. Some people like the spontaneity, the creativity of putting, you know, thinking outside of the box or putting together disparate ideas. That doesn't get eradicated by the medication, and that's a good thing. But it also means even when people improve with their core focus attention symptoms, they're still probably deviating from the norm on those measures. Or um, So medications are never completely curative. And to that, so so to, to help in parallel with that, we need to find ways to either provide tasks that are interesting and compelling enough for those and so some of the work is how do you make boring a routine or things you need to be mastering interesting enough and how do you provide the right structure so one important piece with structure it's not just that the more is the better that pending someone up and confining them is going to make them stay on track with with people with ADHD, are more sensitive to the right amount of structure i mean someone with adhd is not going to do well on the tesla assembly line Screwing on one bolt the same because it's just not interesting enough. That's a highly structured environment. It's too structured. On the other hand, just saying, here, put cars together. That's going to be too unstructured. So so you need to have the right amount of structure in that situation. And then getting back more to the medication and over-medicating issues. One, so I, I've mentioned stimulants in particular have some Uncommon but really bad side effects, addiction um, being at the top of the list, the amphetamine-induced psychosis being another. Um, if you don't get the dose right, you know it can add to agitation, insomnia, dry mouth, appetite suppression. Usually, again, these are pretty easy drugs to dose because you're seeing the, the results in immediate time. It's not like an antidepressant where we have to wait weeks to see how someone's doing getting back to it the there's a prevalent view among certain large subsets of our population that don't drug our kids these are poisons are going to rot their brain and unfortunately for that mindset or view we have more than three dozen studies in kids looking at kids with adhd who are medicated with stimulants versus kids with adhd who are not medicated through adolescence and then looking at their brains at a starting point and as their brains were at the end of adolescence, early young adulthood. And virtually all of these three dozen studies show that the brains of kids who took stimulant medications looked closer to normal brains than the kids who didn't. So it completely flips on its head, the idea we're poisoning or destroying kids' brains. You may actually be condemning your kid to a life time of ADHD by not medicating them during childhood that I mean I'll let people interpret it that would be a more logical interpretation based on the do we have I mean you could argue maybe having a different looking brain isn't a bad thing to begin with or you know we shouldn't be um, defying the norm but but the worry And the converse worry, I mean, we are not seeing damage from normal doses of the stimulant medications in any biochemical or neuroanatomical measure that I'm aware of. And people have looked at it because you should be concerned. These are heavy-duty medications, but the, Mm. the actuality so far Again, separate, yes, clearly some kids run into problems with addiction, some kids run into problems with psychosis, you know, that we don't want at all, but in general, are these rotting kids' brains, the evidence would suggest they are helping the brains develop along closer to a normal trajectory.
0: Right. And again, I know
1: that that flips things completely on their head
0: there. Right. Uh, But where it gets confusing now, I know in the medical profession, there are, there are different opinions, which, which is why they say you know get a second opinion. But is there a necessarily a consensus or a strong consensus on the treatment for ADHD? And the reason I say this because I know somebody um, pretty pretty well, uh, a family member uh, mm-hmm. who is who has been treated for ADHD, but uh, gone to several different doctors, and every single one has changed the medication uh, to the point where as I don't want to give away too much as, as family members. I'll say uh, mm-hmm. we're confused about, you know, who's right and who's wrong because they, so, they, they've they changed the medication so many times. Like what's the, what's the right deal? Who should we be listening to?
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so there are, I mean, there's several professional organizations. There's pediatric associations. There's the American psychiatric association. There's a specific a. APSARD, I don't even know the letter association studying ADHD and coming up with standard. I mean, what do the data show work best? For years, these groups said, because the data showed, that the most effective treatments for kids and adults with ADHD were the stimulant medications, and that anything else, you know, was of secondary value. In the last decade plus, there's good documented information that certain forms of cognitive behavioral therapy can meaningfully improve the lives of people with ADHD. There's certainly um, studies looking at treating the family as a whole system and helping the parents come up with more effective ways to guide their kids without letting them run too loose and without cracking down too too hard or being too overly critical. Um, There's increasing research into using video systems or using biofeedback. That I'd say there's a lot of people pushing that and the amount of clear data showing robust effects is pretty weak. So the overall guidelines are pretty um, general and not specific that you should always start with 20 milligrams of Adderall, for example. But even within that, that general framework, there are people who you know, even the medical profession who are strongly against stimulants. And I mean, I usually go to non-stimulant medications first before I go to stimulants yeah. in any adult I'm working with. And it's, I think that the, the collective evidence is Adderall is our most likely to be effective, but Ritalin actually isn't much different than Welbutrin or Stratera or some of our non-stimulant medications. And again, the risks are higher. So, I see my job as trying to explain best as I know what the advantages of a certain approach are, what are the disadvantages, and listening to the individual's own preferences and family history and their own experiences. And and family history is, I mean, the genetic component to ADHD is huge. It's not everything, but it's stronger than the genetic component for depression. It's comparable to the genetic um, contributions to Schizophrenia or to height. I mean, we often use height to, you know, you're probably not exactly the same height as your dad, but if everyone else in your family is, you know, six feet tall, it's pretty unusual if you're five foot four, or you know, we can switch the numbers around. So right. genetics aren't everything, but they are a huge. So often, kids with ADHD, and and jumping back two decades, how we started noticing more that adults had ADHD is that parents were arriving into the clinic with their ADHD kids and showing up 15 minutes late and not doing the homework between sessions and displaying inattentiveness and ADD symptoms themselves in the clinic and people were saying, wait a minute, you look like your kid. This is... um,
0: Yeah. Is there a link between intelligence and ADHD? The
1: simple answer is no. The more... There's a lot of ADHD has had a certain cachet in the popular attention, and there's people hundreds of blogs talking about its superpowers the ability to hyper focus and get really into things. Or, you know, with Trump, maybe some of the authenticity, or some of the what I call eternal freshman syndrome sort of the endless excitement. And you know, everything seems new, everything seems amazing, everything seems exciting, joy. Going along with it. But if you look at, I mean, intelligence in the general population faces a, a, a normal distribution. You know, there's a few outliers, pretty smart, really impaired, and most people are hovered around the average. That's what it looks like for ADD, with the exception is that so there are people who are fantastically brilliant who have ADHD, there are people who are average with ADHD. There's people who are low average with ADHD. There's certainly in our society and, and maybe others constructed differently. You can get far enough on intelligence alone that a huge amount of ADD might not impair you. And right. I, have, I have a guy who graduated from Stanford. He could read Nabokov Lolita. He read it in four hours and processed it. And then his life was falling apart, even though he had spreadsheets for where he put his wall, where he did this, where he because he was so bright that he could you know pass the test pass write the essays do things to to mitigate that so where so there is some over there's some conditions that cause mental retardation or intellectual developmental problems we have different terms different days where many of those kids have adhd with certain of those. And and there's a correlation with um, Asperger's syndrome as well. So, so even though in general, the distribution of intelligence with ADHD looks like the normal group, there's actually some weighting or a little more people at the severely impaired end than you would think from a normal distribution because some of those severely impairing conditions that don't just affect other aspects of cognition also affect attention and, and ADHD symptoms of cognition.
0: Well, I'm glad you mentioned Asperger's because um, and I could be wrong about this. Again, I'm wrong about a lot of things. But it seems to me in the last 10 years or so, we've seen a prevalence of a lot of people uh, being either diagnosed, but not by you. By, by family members, not by doctors, not, but, but either by themselves or by family members of having Asperger's. And it seems to me a lot of the symptoms or behavioral patterns uh, seem a lot like what you're describing as ADHD. How do we know the difference in is Asperger's over diagnosed by the, the layperson in today's
1: well, world? Well, I'd say it's both over diagnosed by the layperson and some quasi-professional. So I think I mean, there are fads in the medical world or mental health world. ADD was pretty clearly one in the 90s, first decade of the century. Bipolar disorder was a huge one, and I would rightly identify Asperger's autism spectrum right now as a fad diagnosis. I, I do believe it genuinely exists. I do believe we're probably still missing some people with it, but we are clearly overdiagnosing it. So I've had people whose therapist told them, you have Asperger's syndrome, where all I was hearing or seeing were ADD symptoms. But they liked the Asperger's syndrome because there's a neurodiversity community. Again, it has more cachet. It felt less pejorative than ADD. Maybe their own ADD prevented them from seeing some of the ADD. I've also seen people with social anxiety disorder or social phobia, just people who are really uncomfortable being with others get an autism spectrum diagnosis. The two may look at some levels similar, but there's substantial differences in where, where the problems are arising. So by definition, autism spectrum problems have three features. One is impairment in social functioning. So it's not just not liking social interaction or being anxious about it. It's missing some social cues. You know, in babies, we can see eye movement. You know, normally you look at someone's eyes, autistic babies aren't doing that. You know, different responses to speech or so some fundamental impairment in how the brain processes social interactions. Two, some behavioral manifestations that are rhythmic, what we call stereotypical. So, repeated the same way. So, hand flapping movements or sometimes rocking movements are a core part of what has to be there with an autism spectrum now those can be severe in kids who are severe they may be again milder sort of rocking soothing um but that's not the random hyperactivity of add again you can have both conditions simultaneously and having you know having adhd are more likely than the general public to have an autism diagnosis and conversely if you have autism, you are more likely to have ADHD than the general population. So there's some clustering, but but these are separable.
0: And Very then the third,
1: the third core part of autism is having some idiosyncratic sort of factual-based weird hobbies or interests. So it's not just that you're interested in planes. It's that you go to the airport, and it's the serial number under the wings that you're interested in, or... And again these are maybe more severe examples or you know you memorize all the train tables or or, so it's it's sort of idiosyncratic and focused on details in a way i mean lots of people you know your hobbies may be idiosyncratic compared to what i like or interested in but but that constellation of social impairment pattern physical behaviors and narrow intellectual hobby pursuits, things that intrigue them are are the hallmark or center of autism spectrum problems. And again, ADHD spectrum by our definition are inattentive, hyperactive, and impulsive symptomatology. And again, wow. you can certainly have both together, but but and and there's some researchers who think that that maybe particularly in kids it is fundamentally one squishy concept, and there's certain factors that lead kids some to look to develop more on an autistic plane than an ADD plane.
0: Wow. A very, super interesting subject. And I could continue with probably about a hundred more questions, but out of respect for your time, we are at, at an hour now. I just have one more question before I uh, get to the specifics of where people can buy the book and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you mentioned earlier that it seems, uh, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I thought I heard you say at least that it seems that uh, on a social level, on a societal level, uh, things are increasing as far as this uh what are the are the causes of that obviously it seems like information overload and technology probably plays some uh part in that but are there other factors that are in your view leading to that that we can avoid to maybe lessen the effect
1: so so that's the whole third part of my book so i define several things as feedback loops that people with ADHD are more prone to do or, or engage in, um, and that if you engage in these more, you actually wind up having more ADD-like symptoms. So social media is one of them, that, that social media measurably is sort of making us respond more quickly, more superficially to, right, to, to stimuli. But the more time you spend on social media, the more likely you are to be impulsive, responding quickly. So I, I call that a feedback loop for ADHD. And I'd I'd say Donald Trump himself is a feedback loop. So he is inconceivable in a previous age that we would have chosen him as president. I mean, if you look back 100 years ago, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Lincoln was castigated for giving such a short speech. The guy before him spoke for more than an hour. Can anyone imagine Donald Trump speaking for the three, four minutes that it would take to get out the Gettysburg Address? Inconceivable. (laughs) So he's both the product of our ADD age, but he's also pushed us because he's saying 300 different weird things an hour. And whether you like him and want to cheer it on or whether you think this is a horrifying destruction of our world, you have to respond to this one because two minutes later, he's on to the next. So he's part of the feedback loop. The other pieces that I identify other than sort of information Technology is sleep. Measurably, we are getting less sleep, but we know that sleep deprivation is a primary trigger for eliciting a host of inattentive ADD like symptoms. So, and then, so we sleep less, our brains are more scattered. We sleep, it's again a feedback loop. I'd say less exercise. Exercise is one of the beneficial approaches to treating ADHD and depression and anxiety. But as a society, we are clear, you know, even though we have more super athletes doing triathlons and other things we have way more people who are sedentary we know again that being overly sedentary makes you more at risk for, for registering symptoms on an add spectrum and if you have again so so disrupted sleep disrupted exercise disrupted eating patterns having more junk food is correlated with more add-like behavior but being add-like You are making poor choices. You're eating what's in front of you. You're not planning out your meals. So I think what I call the big four are are things I recommend everyone should focus on whether they have ADHD or not. That every day, sleep is so important, and it's not just the amount of sleep. It's the same time each day. Wow. We have one of my, and and there's a wonderful book, um, I'm blanking he's a Berkeley sleep expert. (laughs) Can find it quickly. Um, Matthew Walker is as it was a New York Times bestseller, and and I was so grateful because he not only emphasizes you need the eight hours, which we've known for decades, but you need the same eight hours. If you're used to sleeping eleven p.m. to seven a.m. and you stay up till three a.m. and you sleep from three till eleven, you still got your eight hours. But waking up at eleven, your brain is not in the same state. It's yeah. not the same thing. And we've known that for as long as we've known the duration of sleep. I don't know why we omit that from a message. So sleep, eating, exercise, and I'd say some form of meditation and/or relaxation, you should be scheduling and making sure you're getting some of those every day.
0: Wow! Uh, so. I I can't ask you any more questions because every time I ask you a question, I wanna I got 17 different questions based off your answer. Uh, <laughs> we'll be here of, all day.
1: <laughs> some of them are in the book, and and I. I Posted on medium.com, more than 100 essays on Trump and different aspects of ADHD. Um, I've also been doing some short Facebook lives, some of those have migrated to YouTube for some of these narrow topics on ADHD.
0: Great stuff. The book is called Recognizing Adult ADHD, What Donald Trump Can Teach Us About Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. It's my John Cruz, MD, PhD, and uh, you've been listening to him educate me and hopefully you for the last hour uh, about adult ADHD because, uh, again, I think it's something that we generally think of as a children's uh, condition or, or disease and so m- most people don't even associate it with being an adult condition or disorder uh i appreciate your time here and i wish you great success with the book again there's so much more i'm going to get the book now because i have so many more questions about this stuff but I, our time is short and i do respect your time and i thank you for being here i wish you great success moving forward great uh, thanks so you. thanks have a great day and bye for now
1: i appreciate it bye
0: This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% stall-wide when you click the link on minddogtv.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by Vapor DNA. Founded in 2013, Vapor DNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code Q. Dr. John Cruz, people. Uh, fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff. You know, I never thought of uh, Donald Trump as a uh, possible um, positive uh, Force for anything, but I guess if if we can if he can help us learn a little about a condition that we know so little about, um, maybe there is some redemption in everyone. I, I like the fact that uh, Doctor Cruz uh, said, "Well, I have to consider him as a human being, as we all are." I have a difficult time with that because, uh, you know, I, I listen. I, if I'm being totally honest, uh, he he brings out the worst in me. I don't like to hate people. I don't like to hate people but he brings out hatred in me he definitely does he <laughs> so uh i'm not the most objective person at all when it comes to him but uh hopefully you know what if he can be a a a subject for teaching us all uh a little bit about something we need to know more about then then i guess there is some redemption in him after all try try to moderate my thoughts on that. I hope you enjoyed this program and I hope you learned something. I hope I learned something. (laughs) I think I did. But honestly, my biggest takeaway from this is, uh, and I have a propensity for this. Just like if I had a cancer expert on it, I'd be examining myself for cancer and thinking I definitely have cancer. Uh, the more he talk, the more I recognize myself and all those behaviors. And, and now I'm a little scared. Uh, so I hope you learned something. I hope you got something out of this uh, and we'll tell your friends about it. And come on back and subscribe, go to my YouTube channel and subscribe there and questions and comments for me. Always info at mind info at minddogtv.com. Uh, tonight, uh and i just want to make sure i get his name right uh we have a guest uh a musical guest on tonight from mts uh records is da- darren michael boyd guitar virtuoso. so uh we'll be talking to him tonight at 8 p.m it's our last show of this year and i hope you'll join me then that's at 8 p.m eastern till then i'm matt napple from mind dog tv podcast thanks for coming and bye for now
2: You'll find that I'm just like you are For all the shit that we've been through I love you cause you're broken too I'm broken and I'm beaten down I know you think I'm just a